Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, I'm Patrick Honeywell, and this is the Believe in Chef Special Podcast, the show where we hear from incredible chefs and other food and beverage professionals as they share their secrets to success and tips on creating signature recipes at home. As a reminder, if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe so that you're notified when a new episode is posted. And please rate, review, and share with your friends. Today's special guest is Danielle Leone, executive chef and co-owner of the Bread, Fruit, and Rum Bar, a restaurant and bar concept located in downtown Phoenix, Arizona. It is here that Chef Danielle and her husband, Dwayne Allen, offer award-winning modern Jamaican cuisine, expertly prepared sustainable seafood, and a selection of over 150 premium rums. Chef Danielle, a globally renowned sustainable food advocate, is a member of the Monterey Bay Aquarium Blue Ribbon Task Force, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, and a smart catch leader with the James Beard Foundation. So let's discuss Jamaican Caribbean cuisine and a commitment to sustainable foods with Danielle Leone. Danielle. Hey. How are you? Thank you for gracing my podcast with your esteemed presence today. Oh, you're just too sweet. Thank you. Well, it's all true. It's all true. I've been uh, looking back. I looked uh, quite a bit at your history and uh, watched a bunch of your YouTube clips, and you've got an amazing uh, backstory. So let's talk about that a little bit. Can you walk us through it? Oh, yeah. I'm happy to do that. Um, You know, I've come a long way and walked a very curious path um, to where I am today as a chef and a restaurant owner and, um, you know, deeply involved in sustainability. But when I first started this, the Bread for Rum Bar, my restaurant back in 2008, I walked into this place kind of by happenstance and I was a yoga teacher and I was running a yoga school. So for me, I was just really just interested in getting my hands on a project. I just saw it as like this beautiful living work of art. So I was coming in for the fun of it, not realizing that it was an actual real job. Oh, <laughs> so. it sure is. <laughs> so, so you started in yoga, which is fantastic. You're doing yoga, then you started cooking and still doing yoga. How'd that work out? Well, I grew up cooking with my grandmother. I come from an Italian family. We're from uh, the Chicago suburbs. And the best days of my life were on Sundays when my grandmother decided to make pasta. So a big tall pot of gravy bubbling, you know, um, rolling up bergeol, meatballs, grating so much cheese that you feel like your arm's going to fall off, you know, (laughs) people screaming, running through the kitchen, people stealing meatballs. It's just utter bliss and chaos all at the same time. So I, I mean, I've been imprinted as a small girl mm-hmm. in a very positive way. I, have a, I had a really good relationship with food that way. But as an adult, as I um, went to college and I was on my own, and then I had my first job and all of that, I really fell away from food. And I was so disconnected that um, I focused on the, the mind and the body aspect through yoga. But the way that I reconciled this mind-body balance was just to really eliminate cooking altogether. So when I was that yoga teacher and I was running that yoga school, I mean, I mean, lunch was like a, what, like a double shot of wheatgrass and like a, 
power bar of some sort, you know, like a protein bar and <laughs> a lot of raw fruit and stuff like that. So no cooking. It was actually devoid of it in my life for years. Okay. So you're, you're, you're doing yoga and what made the, the transition start to happen? You travel to the Caribbean. Now, do you call it Caribbean or Caribbean? How do you call it? Uh, I call it the Caribbean. But okay. It's like tomato, tomato, plantain, okay. plantain situation. You know, I mean, <laughs> we all know what we're talking about, but I go with Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of the fascinating things for me uh, on having you here as a chef with a really a huge background with Caribbean flavors, Jamaican. Did you travel there and you said, you know what, this food is killer. So I think I'll start. I want to learn it. Or how did that work out? You know, Patrick, I wish I had that much experience with it before I opened this restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Not too late. You can go, you and your husband can jump back over there now. Come on. You know, uh, you know there's those uh, famous last words a friend would say to you, and those are, hey, do you want to help me out? Right? Mm. Oh, no. It's never just helping somebody out. So um, Dwayne back then, you know, just over a decade ago, wanted to open a restaurant and when I was teaching yoga and he said, Hey, you know, it should be the Italian or should be the Jamaican restaurant. Well, you know, Dwayne Allen, he's born and raised in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I was going to have any part of this, this situation here. And I'm of Italian background, but I wasn't going to, you know, cook or anything like that. So um, I decided to help him out <laughs> by <laughs> scouting the location. And then it quickly rolled into a small ownership stake in um, exchange for helping to build out the place and, you know, help him run it, you know, after yoga or before yoga, which yoga was my priority. And I was mm -hmm. learning to run a business for the first time. Um, you know, I had like a multi-level marketing background and running a yoga school. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, after a few months, Patrick, Duane and I quickly realized that this is an all-consuming task. And, we went all in on this. I'm going to tell you, I made every wrong business decision possible. You know, we maxed out our credit cards in a single day. We called as many new lenders as we could until mm -hmm. there was like a $200 limit. Then Dwayne took a second mortgage out on his house Jeez. and <laughs> we had enough money to build out this old office space here in downtown Phoenix. Um, and we did it from scratch. And so like all the carpentry we did ourselves, laying the brick, um, putting up the drop ceiling. I mean, you name it. I got that art project that I was looking for. Um, and then it was just too much to manage. And I fell into cooking because uh, we couldn't afford staff either. So there went yoga and um, I stepped into owning and operating a restaurant and a kitchen uh, without ever, ever once going to the Caribbean oh, or my. cooking the food. <laughs> Never trying breadfruit, right? <laughs> no. Not at all. Yeah. But probably had a couple of rums because it's breadfruit rum in, right? <laughs> oh my God. I, I I mean, I think we've all had rum in our day, but I mean, has that ever really been a good experience? Like per capita, people uh, have a, like this crazy misconception about rum, but here we are, you know, 12 years later and we have a renowned rum bar and, you know, program here with Caribbean food and seafood and such. But, um, you know, I did, I have traveled the Caribbean. I've been, I go a few times a year and I've been going for as many years as I pretty much since we've opened the place. And it's really cool because I have never gone to culinary school. I've never worked in another kitchen. So I'm mm. completely self-taught and I did this two ways. The, the, I'd say like the upside of my learning was when we would go to Jamaica and spend some time with Duane's family so I would hang out with the matriarchs, you know, grand aunts, grandmas, 
and just watching them, you know, I had my eagle eye on them, just trying to figure out how they make the most basic things because you know what, Patrick, just like your grandmother, there's probably no recipe and they're really just not that interested in teaching you. <laughs> no, no. They probably thought you were uh, some kind of a spy the way you were looking over their shoulder. Exactly. <laughs> I, my God, just, just get my foot, literally to get my foot past that threshold of a kitchen in Dwayne's grandmother's kitchen took me mm. three years. Jeez. So, wow. I, you know, it's amazing. So with breadfruit and rum bar um, and you're self-taught, didn't go to school, didn't work anywhere else, and you have... Um, some great awards um, within a 10-year period, maybe less. Best seafood, best date spot. That was intriguing to read. Best date spot. So, must, so you create a cool ambiance too. Uh, best cocktails. I think you've got like a, a variety of cocktails, but you got that award and you also have, I think, something like 150 different types of rums, roughly. Mm-hmm. And um, six gold medals. We, uh, we, we, got, we gold medaled six years in a row at our premier culinary festival out here in Arizona. And after getting a double gold four times in a row, I just quit. I'm like, what? Why? I just need to step aside and let somebody else, <laughs> 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 like an up and coming chef, you know, get their turn. So I resigned from gold, gold medaling. And uh, actually last year I went back to that culinary festival. It's called Devour. Mm-hmm. And I was their sustainability judge. Hmm. So as a chef, I walked through and judged the, the chefs on taste, but also on their sustainability practices. So I really love participating that way. And I look forward to doing it next year, you know, after our, our pandemic's over. Do you see that you've changed the menu much over, over the years? Every, I mean, how often do you do a menu change? Oh, well, we do it seasonally, but Patrick, Arizona has two seasons, hot and cold. So (laughs) (laughs) two menus out here in downtown Phoenix at the breadfruit. And Hmm. I know when to change the menu because I've been, you know, I've been working with my farmers, ranchers, fishers Hmm. for so many years that I know when their crops are waning, you know, and when they're going to start waxing. And so um, we take about a month and a half to develop a new menu first it's just brainstorming and then once the the veggies are starting to phase out and phase in we start executing new menu ideas and just you know going over and over again and it's bound by what is available but not just what's available but what has been responsibly grown or harvested Mm -hmm. so for us the, the the best food isn't just delicious food because I mean, if you're any kind of decent chef, your food should taste great, right? Mm, <laughs> Let's just say that's a given. <laughs> <laughs> like a real culinarian, right? <laughs> um, and then, of course, we pride ourselves as chefs, uh, professionals, that we always source the best. But that mm. word, the best, has been redefined. And over the years, you see even the most beginning, the beginners of chefs in re- redefining this word best is not just to mean the most pristine or exotic. Mm-hmm. Instead, these are foods that are local or regional, mm-hmm. source responsibly, you know, that have a low footprint on the earth and the planet um, that factor in social responsibility. So my God, I mean, being a true culinarian just got 10 times more complicated. Oh, definitely. It, you know? It's even more engaging. Tell me uh, a little bit about Arizona desert shrimp. So Arizona desert shrimp is here in Gila Bend, Arizona. It's a shrimp farm set out in Gila Bend that is fed by natural aquifers. And the water has a high salinity. So that farm has been there 
for about a decade. However, it has um, just been revamped by a new group and I am a part of that. I help them vet their sustainability practices. And then um, now that they're launched, I'm going to be their like, sustainable seafood ambassador. But hmm. it's really cool first to think that we're growing shrimp in the desert. No kidding. That was, that really caught my eye. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's like Sonoran desert. I mean, I think cat like agave or a prickly pear. I certainly don't think of a shrimp, mm-hmm. but you know, part of it is that, you know, these days you don't just have to grow things the way, grow things the way people have always grown it. You know, I mean, we're growing things hydroponically. We're growing things in shipping containers. We're, we're really having to think outside of the box to meet the demand, the need of all these people out there that need healthy food that's nutritious, that's accessible, meaning the price point as well, Patrick. So at Arizona Desert Shrimp, um, I mean, I've vetted them through the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch program and they have a glowing green rating. And um, it's just the coolest, like they're super tasty, they're close to home, they're beautiful, beautiful shrimp. And um, we just have our eye on the prize at Arizona Desert Shrimp. And that prize is making the most, the most sustainable and delicious shrimp that not just Arizona has tasted or our nation, but worldwide. Wow. So let me ask you, because when I think of shrimp, I think of, you know, quality, if I can find it, I'm going to have to see if I can source something from Arizona shrimp. But I also look for different sizes, depending on the application. Do they do uh, several different sizes in the shrimp or is it one size? Yeah, it's, it's great because they, you know, when we were developing the product and going back and forth about what these shrimp should be, mm-hmm. we're, we were thinking, well, we need to, we need this shrimp to be everybody's shrimp, right? So there's, there's a couple of different sizes. You can also get them um, with the heads on, you can get them headless. Um, you'll be able to get them never frozen. You're going to be able to get them fresh frozen. And uh, we have the most cutting edge technology that exists for freezing. So those little shrimp come out of the pond. I mean, they're cleaned and bam, they are frozen instantly. Flash frozen. Awesome. Yeah. Mm. Like insane. Like this is so important for a professional chef because you think of something frozen and you get like an awful chewy or mealy texture, but it's about how you freeze it and how, how you protect the protein itself through the freezing process. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Patrick, I think that's why like regular people can want to like avoid shrimp on their dinner table because it's like a weird texture thing for them, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, another thing too is, and you brought up something that I was interested in. If you flash freeze it when it just comes out or you just clean it, depending how you're packaging it, if you'd have a good freezing system, um, you can really lock in the texture and the the flavor and all that versus going to a store and they have it out, you know, in the glass case at a grocery store. And, you know, you can tell sometimes it's been sitting there for three or four days. Sometimes I think the the, a really well flash frozen shrimp is better anyway. It's fresher once it's thought out. Yeah. Yeah, right. Like you think about it, you pull it out of the water and it, it's immediately preserved mm. or you can pull it out of the water and say, well, it's never been frozen. Yeah, but it's been sitting in a refrigerator for like a week. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pass on that one. And, you know, that's what people think, you know, I mean, most cities aren't coastal. We live inland per capita. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think if we can just give more people better quality and then they're going to have access to food that's nutritious mm-hmm. and affordable because these shrimp are so much less expensive than wild caught shrimp. And they just don't have that devastating ecological impact, you know? 
Well, you mentioned the Monterey, they have a really high ranking or rating with Monterey Bay Aquarium Blue Ribbon Task Force, which you're a part of. So let's talk about some of your advocacy um, programs or things you're involved in. I think you have uh, involved in James Beard uh, Foundation, Monterey Bay Aquarium Blue Ribbon Task, and also Independent Restaurant Coalition. Can you run through those a little bit? Absolutely. So for me, we talked a little bit about, you know, a seasonal menu and how, what my bound, like what my boundaries are for a menu. And it's these parameters of sourcing things that are, are responsible and delicious and that support a local um, food system that's sustainable that also drives me to be a part of the Monterey Bay Aquarium Blue Ribbon Task Force. So we're 65 culinarians from across the nation that lead the way in reform and creating change on a federal level. So we went to the Hill a couple of years ago and we lobbied Congress um, to protect the Magnuson-Stevens Act, right? And that's, that's the act that protects the U.S. fisheries. And we have the, the most well-managed fisheries in the world. <laughs> it's amazing. So we're a bunch of badass chefs out there, you know, <laughs> with our, our chef coats and tattoos and long hair and, you know, cuts all over ourselves and burn marks. And we're like, listen, Congress, y'all need to protect the oceans because if you don't, nobody's going to eat and the whole planet's going to fall apart. And they're like, what? Chefs care about this? We're like, we care about food, you know? <laughs> well, you know, what an, what an interesting uh, uh, approach because, you know, these, these people get the, you know, the government guys, you know, in Congress and Senate, they listen to different people come in and say, yeah, we want to have this and that. But they all respect, I have to say, professional chefs, restaurants, they love it. It's inspiring. And if all of you are there, I bet you got a really good uh, response. I can, I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, everybody loves a chef because yep. everybody loves to eat. So, like, if you're trying <laughs> to talk to, uh, you know, somebody from Congress, you're probably better off sending a chef in there because we're so casual and we're, we don't we don't beat around the bush. You know us. Yep. Anybody who's listening to us, you know, we're just right to the point. <laughs> exactly. Get them to drop their guard and listen right away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's the coolest. So, I mean, we and I mean, we talked about you mentioned the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Mm -hmm. That's a a group of people that are from our industry, you know, the F&B industry that are also working to pass the Restaurants Act. And that's getting industry specific relief for, you know, restaurants, bars, food trucks, caters, whatever you think about drinking or eating. That's what this bill is for. And we have been pushing for nine months and we've been pushing hard. And the same reason why Congress listens to the Blue Ribbon Task Force is the same reason why the Independent Restaurant Coalition um, has so many supporters, because I mean, if you think about like where we used to get food, like most people eat seafood in restaurants and not at home. Mm -hmm. And right now, Definitely. if like you think about who's unemployed right now in our country and what's affecting the economy, it's us, it's restaurant workers. Like right now, one in five people that are unemployed are actually us. It's two, over like 2.1 million Americans. Gosh. And so like you want to think about like, delicious food. Well, we have to make sure that we have chefs in restaurants. Restaurants have to be open. There has to be waiters and bartenders and service staff. Like, and that means um, if, if we're not there, we're not buying, you know, Arizona desert shrimp or like responsibly fish, you know, seafood. So it's mm -hmm. this really amazing, this, this ecosystem that the restaurant culture perpetuates that reaches from land to sea and everybody in between. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and it's, yeah, your suppliers like, you know, like the um, Arizona desert shrimp. 
I don't know if people, you know, necessarily think about this, but if a rest- restaurant closes or, you know, if they're not open as often, the, the suppliers are affected too. Some of the suppliers don't sell to grocery chains or grocery stores where, where they're still doing fairly well. They, they supply food service and they're, they're in the same boat. There's so right. many people have lost their jobs, you know. I mean, you know, I hope, I hope things change soon. Well, I mean, you can go to saverestaurants.com if you're listening to this. Um, and all you have to do is click on a letter and it goes to Congress or to your representative. So saverestaurants.com and it just asks for them to pass industry-specific relief, mm-hmm. meaning like help us, you know, survive this pandemic. Like casual dining right now is down 65% and fine dining is down 85% from last year. So, I mean... I want, like, I want everybody to have access to like really tasty, delicious, awesome food like Arizona Desert Shrimp or whoever else is out there producing great stuff. But like, we need our restaurants open. Um, and that's what I think chefs should do. Like, as I've been around for only 12 years, so I mean, I guess I'm fairly new for some people and maybe I'm a veteran for others. But what I've come to realize over the years, Patrick, is that I have this immense amount of power. And it's not me personally. It's chefs, restaurateurs, people that are making buying decisions. We make together, we make such immense purchasing, like, right. Like the amount of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. Like you want to just go from your smallest community to your city, to your state, to your nation. Mm -hmm. Like we change the future of food. We dictate what people eat. You know, think about all the people that sit at all of our tables from all these restaurants across the nation. Like we, we as chefs, tell people what they should enjoy. That's so true. It's amazing, right? And so I think every chef is is an advocate for a food, like for food, right? But Mm -hmm. it's like, you could either realize how powerful you are and speak up for good food, or you can just be passive and not engaged and just slide by. And you could also contribute to really the downfall of our food system or even our industry, because if you're not supporting good food, then we don't have a reliable supply chain. I mean, we saw what happened and how we couldn't even get the most basic things, right? You couldn't even get a sack of flour. Mm, that's <laughs> really. true. You have to go buy a five pounder over at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if you're a chef, a professional and you're listening right now, or if you're just a, just a eater, which is every single one of us, just make sure when you're going to buy something, you're just taking a hot second and thinking like, man, like, is this responsibly sourced? You know, is it organic or is it local? Like, where did it come from or how is it produced? Because it only takes a moment. I mean, we take a long time to think about a lot, whether it's electronics or clothes or makeup. I mean, my God, it, it shouldn't be any different for food. Well, you know, in the restaurants too, it's therapy because a lot of times, you know, there are people um, like myself, you'll, you'll say, you know what, this has been a stressful day. I think I'll go out and have a nice, you know, sit down in a nice ambiance and a restaurant. Oh, shoot. There's nowhere to go. So it, it lends more than just food. It's, it's like therapy to the, to the country. Yeah, right. I mean, I love, I mean, going out eating and having a good experience or having a great cocktail or glass of wine somewhere. I, well, you've oh. got 150 different rums uh, and also you're, the, you're listed as the best date spot. So, you know, yeah, great ambience, great date, date spot. <laughs> yeah, it's like huh. this, um, the Breadfruit Rum Bar, it's, it seats about 65 people. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of like old wood, like tongue and groove wood 
um, bricks, low dim, like amber lighting and like the bar stools in the bar. It looks like you just plucked it out of Kingston, Jamaica, Gosh. It, but not like in a weird trendy kitschy way. Cause like Kingston is like roots, like where people li- like really live, not where tourists go, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're giving you the best of Jamaica and it's plopped down in the middle of downtown Phoenix. So it's very urban. It's very vibrant. And I just love it. And people come here because they want an experience, you know, I mean, 150 rums, I mean, that's daunting or seafood in the middle of the (laughs) desert. That's daunting too. But, you know, we've come up with some really beautiful cocktails and some really just amazing dishes over the years. Well, yeah, your food, you're, you're so well known uh, as a chef. I mean, and and even you've been on, well, you know, chopped and all those shows because you, you, uh, you have a good fan base. People follow you and they love your restaurant too. So let me ask you, if you, for maybe a couple tips for the listeners and for me, if you were to teach somebody, like let's say you're at the house, you get a guy or girl and they say, I want to learn something. Would you share with them what um, your husband's grand, Dwayne's grandparents did in Jamaica, like something uh, home cooking type fair? Or what would you, what would you show them? And then let's talk about how you can kick it up into kind of a a higher end uh, version of a Jamaican dish. Yeah, absolutely. So whether you're, you know, at home, like home food, or if you're on the road and you want to eat, pick up something just roadside, I'm going to say by far my f- favorite option is a whole fried fish. Ooh, nice. So um, I actually just did a whole fish butchery demo last night on IG Live and like people couldn't get enough of it. I can't believe how many questions there are about a whole fish. I feel like it's simple, but I do like if I think back to it, Patrick, you know, like a decade ago, how amazing I thought it was to see somebody, you know, handling a whole fish, not like a filet, because mm. that's all you really see. I mean, in, in our culture, oh, definitely. but it's intrinsically Caribbean and Jamaican because it is an island nation. And so, I mean, we're surrounded by water. There's this beautiful bounty of fish. And I mean, we talked about um, sourcing responsibly and there are a lot of options for some really cool fish out there. So my favorite thing to do, and it sounds simple. And um, I think, for a culinarian out there, um, keep in mind that simple is is a recipe. A simple recipe is a recipe that you can't hide behind. You know, mm-hmm. every the sl- every bit of technique that you use, every bit of seasoning you use, it shines through because there's there's not a lot of glitz and glam to it. So, for me, I love to take the whole fish and cut some slits down the side of it. So almost like all the way from like fin to fin. So Mm. really big wide cuts on a bias on an angle. Mm -hmm. And then the seasoning. So if you're a home cook or you're a chef, I think this is like the secret sauce. Okay. What it is, it's called pick a pepper. Mm. You've heard of it. I'm writing it down. I have pick a pepper and I'm not (laughs) trying to have like an accent or like an attitude. It sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) (laughs) With an A at the end, not pepper, but pepper. Pepper. And it's a bunch. So it's made in Jamaica. Okay. It's like a dark, brown almost like black thick sauce Mm. and it's all jamaica all vegetables and fruits that are grown in jamaica so whether it's like raisins or mangoes or like everything scallions onion scotch bonnet pepper all these things are ground together with like salt and pepper and jamaican allspice which we call pimento Mm. and then they're barrel aged out in the open oh interesting like a rum 
Sprite, but it's a sauce mm. and it has the most amazing flavor. Cause you think about like, you know, like, um, like a raw sugar vinegar with, you know, fermented mangoes almost right. And raisins and scallions, like it gets really complicated. Mm. So you pick up yourself this bottle of pick a Peppa and I'll add a little bit of more sea salt, black pepper and pimento. It's not the little red pimento and olive. I mean, Jamaican allspice, just okay. like there's a lot of peppercorns. There's, there's more than the allspice that you all put in your pumpkin pies, because this is much more dynamic. It's mm-hmm. Jamaican allspice called pimento. So if if I could, if I could only have one seasoning for the rest of my life, like at the breadfruit, it would just be pimento. Because if I don't have pimento, I don't have Jamaican food. But where, do, where does uh, the listener get it? Where do they pick some up or do you sell it or how do we get it? Well, you can go online and buy it. You can okay. just Google pimento or Jamaican allspice, but mm-hmm. some grocery stores, I have two grocery stores out here in Arizona that carry it hmm. and they're okay. just regular grocery stores. Um, so you, you take your ground spices and you mix it in. And I add just a touch more of white vinegar to it. And I pack that into all the, the, the cuts, those slits mm-hmm. that I made on the sides of the fish. Nice. And then I um, take some sliced onion and I rub it on the onion and I stuff the belly of the fish with these onions. Gosh. And then we, um, we pan fry it. So kind of at a lower temperature than you would expect, probably around like three-ish, mm-hmm. 300, 320-ish. And... Um, low and slow. So it just kind of gets that beautiful red hue to it and it gets super crispy and you just flip that little guy over with all the tenderness and attention you can muster because (laughs) if you scrape the skin off, your fish looks like it was like in a car wreck. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, wait, that's mine. Wait a minute. (laughs) I mean, if you're at home, it doesn't matter. You know, I have some tricks to fight it. It does. You want to make it nice for your guests, you know? Yeah. And then you can, um, and depending on how you do it, like if you're trying to get into it, like to make it a little bit more um, like a cultivated presentation is I, I, pick, I use a, a pick, like a bamboo pick, and I pick the tail into the body. Mm. So the tail is like kicked up. Very nice. And then I baste it. And then that tail gets stuck. It's like, it like solidifies it stays there. stays in position. And then I prop up. Yeah, stays in position. And then I also open the mouth and I prop. So like you can even like, depending on the fish, like fan out um, like where the gills would be. So it kind of has like a lion look to it. And so and then you can take it out of the fry, out of the fry pot. You can set it on its belly, not on its side. And then it, it's like it's swimming. Gosh, that, that sounds amazing. Now, let me ask you a question. So um, do you use oil or butter? And what's oh, your yeah. best, what's your favorite pan to use for something like that? Uh, oil, just canola. Okay. And uh, a big, I mean, the fish that I work with here are usually about, they're not, I mean, they're not all that big. They're about two, 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 two pounds right around there. Pretty good size. Now, what kind of fish is that? Um, well, the one, the one, I, I mean, I choose the fish that is actually, um, raised responsibly mm-hmm. or fished responsibly. So what you should do if you're looking for a fish and you're going to the grocery store, um, Download the Monterey Bay Aquarium, the Seafood Watch app. The mm-hmm. Seafood Watch app, all you do is you type in the name of your fish. So you're at the case and it's, you see, I don't know, whatever they put in there. And maybe it's a black sea bass or something. So you type in black sea bass. And then the Seafood Watch app is going to ask you where it came from. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so you'll have to probably ask the person behind the counter, like, hey, where did you get this fish from? Mm-hmm. It's perfect, <laughs> and then they, like, <laughs> they like take 17 minutes to figure it out. And then they tell you and you just pop that in your seafood watch app. And then it might ask you another question or it might not, but it'll tell you if it's green, yellow, or red. So green is a go. It's like a stoplight system. Like go ahead and buy it. Mm-hmm. Yellow is, eh, I think twice. Is there a better option? Mm, caution, and red is caution. Like, Yeah. Like, think about that. How much do you really want that fish? How much do you actually love the ocean? Not that much. Okay. Buy it. I don't know. And then (laughs) red is like, just don't buy it because maybe the fish population is really low or the way they fished it is really hurting the ocean. So Patrick, I just buy fish that are green listed. Mm -hmm. And for me, like most fish are good frying fish. Some fish can be too meaty, like a mullet, for example, is a little too meaty. Mm. So you kind of want to go with the more like white fleshed, more like flaky fish instead of like a meaty fish for a whole fried fish. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. Danielle, these are things I I hadn't thought about and I've never, never checked with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Blue Ribbon Task Force. That's going to be a great uh, resource, I think. And for chefs too. Um, I don't know. I'm going to talk to a few and see if they're checking that out because that's, that's pretty awesome because they can, they can actually, if they're you, if they don't currently really work towards the sustainable um, foods, they might, it helps their menu too to list it and to say that, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what people want. I mean, we talked about like, you know, food is delicious per capita, but you know, what sets me apart um, from the restaurant down the road? Like, you know, if we both have black sea bass on and we're both making, you know, a similar dish, like people come to my restaurant and my restaurant has been so successful because they can take it for granted. Mm -hmm you don't have to think about anything. You, you sit down and on my menu, I tell you where everything comes from. It'll say, you know, the, the seafood watch logo is on there. The James Beard foundation smart catch logo is on there. It lists all my farmers. So you're going to be like, Oh, well, I mean, pretty, pretty, you know, good to say that this food is good food, meaning like clean, organic, local, and people love it because you can come and like, have a great time and drink rum and rum cocktails and like smell the <laughs> pimento wood and eat jerk pork and listen to reggae wow. and, you know, smoke a cigar and you don't have to think <laughs> twice about, you know, being responsible. <laughs> mm, that's amazing. That's amazing. So this is, this is great, great uh, information. I really appreciate it, Danielle. Now, do you, I want to uh, let the listeners know how to find out more. I think uh, what I'll do is I'll list on the show notes uh, when people listen to the podcast and also I'll post on Instagram um, Monterey Bay Aquarium Blue Ribbon Task Force, Independent Restaurant Coalition, and James Beard Foundation, and all of your information. Do you have any um, anything you'd like to uh, add to this? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're listening to this, you're still listening to this. Then I think you care about you know good food, whether you're uh, at home culinarian or a professional culinarian. And I'm just gonna say, like, if you want to bring your game to the next level, it's with this kind of food. Hmm. You know, we are all moving forward in this industry and we cannot get by, we can't rest on our laurels. You know what I mean? Like customers want food that's really delicious and the most delicious food actually happens to be food that is responsibly grown and people want to not feel guilty about indulging. So, you know, you can, it's not that hard, you know, to, to enjoy yourself while you're eating. Um, the Seafood Watch app is my go-to. Get to know a farmer, go to a farmer's market, see what's going on around you and just, you know, pick up some really interesting, delicious food. But I mean, 
there, I don't think there's anything, you know, there's something that parallels eating something that's really truly outstanding. It's, it's, it's an experience. It's something that adds intrinsic value to your life and to community. And it's so powerful. So as a chef, we need to make it simple and fun. And this is, this is now, this is the future of food. No, it's fantastic. So um, I know you've got uh, your website, you've got Instagram, you have quite a few. Is there any call, uh, anything you'd like to uh, share with us on your accounts? I mean, you can, I'm on all the social media. So if you're interested in any of this stuff, I'm, it's Chef Danielle Leone or The Breadfruit. So it's either my, my name or the restaurant's name. And um, we're out there putting food out there, but it's also a lot of advocacy and if there's something that you're interested in, you can instant uh, direct message me and I check it personally. So I'll get back to you and I could hook you up with resources that in your area, or I know chefs across the nation that would be super stoked to talk to anybody about, you know, all these things that we just talked about today. Well, you'd be a great, you're already um, a great advocate for, uh, for uh, the James Beer Foundation, Monterey Bay Aquarium, independent, but independent restaurant coalition, but you'd also probably could do a lot of consulting in, in the, in the U S um, for I would think restaurants or even the casinos, they have so many different F&B divisions on how to really start doing a bit of a transition and shift over to more sustainable food. Do you, do you offer um, that type of a thing, consulting? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a little bit of what I did with Arizona Desert Shrimp is um, consulting on sustainability. Um, but what we've managed to do at the Breadfruit is have a restaurant that makes a profit. And that's really the, the true definition of sustainability. It's mm. not just about you know, I don't know, carrots and fish. <laughs> it's about keeping your doors open. And we've figured out how to keep the doors open, how to pay the bills, and how to respect everybody in that process. Nice. Well, I want to thank you too for the cooking tips. I'm, I'm going to, now I have to search out for that whole uh, fish because I want to try that. And I love how you did the, the cuts on the top and you stuffed it. And I got to find that cool, uh, that cool Jamaican uh, Pimento? Pimento? Um, yeah, pimento. Yeah, you pimento. got it. I got it. Okay, cool. Well, thanks again for being yeah. on the show. You're a lot of fun and you're you're awesome. And I, I advise people to go on, uh, go to YouTube. You've got some really cool videos and little clips that are awesome. And so I, I think I've watched about 10 of them. Let everybody know to go ahead and do that. But anyway, thanks again for being on the show yeah. today. Absolutely. My pleasure. It was great chatting with you. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the B-Lead Podcast Network. Check it out at believe.com and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.